I'm going to tell you what the Greek is of all of it. We're going to have a fun time today. For those of you who are new, welcome to Cross Train. Church goes about four hours usually. So I want to start off with a couple things, and, and I do want to highlight the fact that we have 27 verses that were our verses to cover today, and we actually, believe it or not, we're going to cover 81 verses. There was a giggle. Someone thought I was kidding. We're going to cover 81 verses today. I, I put that on Kim right there. We're covering 81 verses today, and how and why, you ask, and how we're going to get there, well, God knows, but I, I do want to, want to highlight a couple things. We are nearing the end of Pastor Appreciation Month. Did you know that? Did you know that October was Pastor Appreciation Month? So I can say this because our sweet pastor is off training right now, so he's not here. But when you see him, if you have an opportunity, just thank him. Thank his family for the sacrifice and for the service and for the way that they've grown because of the role that God has put him in, because that's an amazing gift. I also want to point out that yesterday, for those of you who don't know, and I'm wearing my shirt to honor this, today is yesterday was First Responder Appreciation Day in our country. Yeah, so if you're a first responder... If you're a first responder, raise your hand. I'm looking right at you. If you're a first responder, Vince, firefighter or police officer, or you have been, thank you very much for your service. And for those online, thank you. Our country stands on the brink of good and evil every day, and the Lord put his first responders there to hold back the tide. So I said thank you. Also, again, not even part of the message, but we have a new married couple. And I'm just going to highlight Kenzie and Jaden because they got married. I'm like, you know. And so why would I even say that? Because guess what? We have another, we have another ally in the kingdom to fight for what it means to have a good, strong marriage that will be covenant and everlasting. Because what starts here today on earth, the Lord finishes in heaven. So that's wonderful. So, again, that has nothing to do with the message. I guess we're on 85 verses today. But today's question of the day that we start off with that's going to drive what we speak about, how should focusing on his kingdom change on how we live in ours. So how should folks in his kingdom change how we live in ours? And I got to apologize to Kim. Apparently, 81 verses is not going to be enough to talk about this topic. We, we could be here probably forever and never get the good answer for that. But first, let me get you guys thinking about something. Turn your notes over to your first talking point question. So the talking points are the ways that we're going to kind of just start warming up to the idea of the message we're going to get to today. The, the first talking point that I'd offer to you and I want to hear your answers on this. What are some ways that you solve problems with people in your life? And boy, this is a lively group, so I absolutely want to hear some of the answers today on this. What are some ways? Scott's nice. He says talk to them. Kylie says don't talk to them. There you go. We have the, the talk to them and then the ignore them. Somebody's in your face. They have a problem with you. What else are we doing? Argue, and not the way that I say argue, like to make a point, but argue because you're going to win, right? What else? Oh, <laughs> fine, we'll pray for them. Yes, I probably should just stop there because that's the best answer we can give, right? So we pray for people. I will tell you honestly that uh, for me, I normally don't have that response. My, my initial, you know, flushed cheeks, and I, I get back into a stance, and I'm ready to fight. Because that's what you do. But it's not what God did. And was even prayed for. And John, again, did a wonderful job opening this up well 
into the idea that that's just not what Jesus did. In fact, the reason I have the calling passages the way I did is because if you look at the end of the story, which we win, Jesus is proclaimed as coming down and every knee will bow, but he takes away all these issues. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more arguing, but all worship. And I think it's a wonderful way to do it. I'd like to invite you guys, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, because you're going to need a Bible for the 87 verses we're going to cover today. I think we have a Bible here, and you'll, there's one. If you need a Bible, we'll get a Bible to you. You can keep it. So we got two Bibles here, Scott, if you don't mind, right next to Mackenzie and uh, Tracy. Tracy has hers. Yes, but Tracy can help. She has another question about how do we get closer to God? Well, we're going to cover that too, Tracy. So the Upside Down Kingdom is the series right now that we're in. And the Upside Down Kingdom thought is what drives this whole process that we're in. The New Testament world was upside down. And Jesus, for sure, came to show that heaven brought to earth. If you see the picture over there, our graphic, the kingdom of heaven, was truly upside down. But what we saw in the past three weeks as we've been covering, as Pastor Doug covered the Beatitudes, was how to set a kingdom upright. Now, Doug explained that it was truly an upside-down kingdom in the first 12 verses. He contrasted what the world looks like and values to what God wants to value, right? It's, it's, if you follow this, truly the blessings of heaven will follow. Thank you, Scott. Now we have Bibles everywhere. Last week, we heard how sharing the salt that we were made to be with the world as we shine his light, as we stand for God's truth, was the way to understand our God-created identity. If you haven't heard that message, you should go back and listen to that. Because apart from being a great springboard to today's message, there was so much truth in there that one message doesn't do it justice. You need to listen to it again. But it brings us to today. So all of that recap brings us to today. And I want to start with a pastor that I listen to and whose books I've read, uh, John Piper. It'll be up on the screen. John Piper said, The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. And if I remember correctly, he said it just like that, to God. Because it's a real thing. Because heaven on earth is the upside down kingdom. But getting people to God, God is in his heaven, right? He's enshrined above the ages, but yet his spirit inside of us, we get people to God by the connected spirit there. And I will tell you right now, and I even have it in the notes here, it says, don't say this. The fact that I have it in my notes to say don't say this means I'm going to say it anyway because I thought I wouldn't need to. But in full transparency, your elders are struggling right now. I'm going to tell you this right now. With this thought, if you look on the screen, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. Your elders are praying with the burden of not just spreading Jesus to the world through this church. That's not what we're praying for now, believe it or not. And it's not what's been burdening Pastor Doug. And in the last elder meetings... We talked about some of these things. The burden we have is to see Jesus alive here in our church. Not, let's go out and, and, and tell the world, but let's see him here. And so I'm telling you right now, your elders are burdened in prayer for this. If, if you come here and, and you believe that, that sitting here once a week is doing what God has for you in your life, I'm telling you, that's, that's not what he has for you. He has more for you. He is an everlasting, ever-providing, abundant God. And last week, Doug talked about the deep church people, but I'd add to his analogy this picture of my own. I want you to think about the buildings that you saw during COVID. Think about the pictures you saw. Think about, I remember seeing Detroit, right? Detroit was this, this great auto city, and it was just decimated and desolate and empty. 
and it was dirty. And nowhere did you find hope. Nowhere did we see a picture of hope anywhere. And as a church community, large, capital C, we made a decision to leave church and to leave community and hunker down. But the problem is we left Jesus in those buildings too. In the pictures right there, Jesus waiting for us to come back. The empty buildings of our heart are ready to be filled again, and I don't think people even in this church realize that. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is a better way. He is the God of all creation. The history seen in Scripture is one not lived in a place that we visit once a week, but inside of us in our hearts. And I'm begging you, understand that. This isn't about the message. Understand that truth. Take it with you as you leave today and build buildings with people throughout the week. Amen? Amen. All right. We are more graced here than other places because I know that people live lives that are different. But I wanted to start there by casting the vision because getting closer to God, as that quote would say, is going to be the focus of how we're going to get to 81 verses today. I'm going to cover 27 verses three different times. We're really going to get into it. But we're going to do it through three different filters because that's the way the Lord revealed the text to me. We see the Beatitudes, as you see up on the screen, you'll see the training truth path. The Beatitudes tell us, blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. And it contrasts, like I said, the world and the values to the Lord and his values. But it's got to be elevated. So you can't just go from there to reading the text and saying, okay, this personal relationship, which is the section that we're in, it's all about... How do you talk to people? How is this? No, it's higher than that. So we're going to talk about how do you reclaim your thoughts. I'm going to show us how we rethink our words and then how we recommit with our deeds the different areas that the Lord wants us to do. So the capstone of the message is the verse that God put on my heart to choose as the main bulletin verse. It was the ending verse, verse 48. It reads, therefore, in summary, right? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. And, and luckily, he doesn't leave us with that, right? That isn't the ending, because you just go, okay, right? We know there's more to come. And what we see to come as we unpack the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount more, the Beatitudes there, and then the Sermon on the Mount through 6 and 7, and even through Matthew, you will see the richness of Christ displayed like none other. And this isn't, as I said, a message on a prescription. This isn't a prescribed way to live your life. This is a message on how to think differently. Because I truly believe if we can get a hold of our thoughts, words, and deeds, then how we act with people will automatically have to change. Right? Does that make sense? I'll tell you right now, the in-your-face confrontation that the Pharisees had to face, the Pharisees were putting on, they had this problem. They were putting on their fake righteousness, Right? And so Jesus confronts them. And, you know, I wonder if on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching to people, right? He sees the sea of people, but you know the Pharisees are on the side. You know the people that don't believe what he's saying are just there, like, listening. You know that with a prayer shawl with 613 extra laws and the phylacteries that are hanging off their heads with how smart and great they are, you know that they're being pierced to the soul. And it's as if Jesus is talking directly to them, and saying, what, what are you doing? This is not how you treat people. This is. This is not how you talk to someone. This is. And why? Because I am better. Why? Because we are to be perfect 
as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that's the point. It's the topic sentence. So let's look at the first filter in our perspective. The first thought is, how do we reclaim our thoughts? Pastor Doug is always saying that we behold before we behave, right? We have to behold who God is before we behave. And Kylie comes up to me and says, before, she's looking at me like, you didn't have that in your notes? It says, before service started, hey, how do we usually, how are we doing these things? Because usually when I preach, their family's gone, so we haven't had a chance to work together. And I said, you do your songs, and I'm listening to the songs that are being played today. Did you listen to the words? This is exactly, you should have put this, I could have just sat down. That's why I said, I don't know what to do. That's my message. See God. Praise him forevermore. That's the message. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, and if you're taking notes, you can write down these scripture references. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, that's great if that's how you respond. <laughs> that's not how I respond. Do you remember how you guys were thinking in your own minds about the first talking point question? Was it really, well, how do I deal with problems in my life? Well, I would destroy the speculations and the lofty things, and I would honor God. Amen. It's probably not how you did. Maybe some of the more righteous ones in our group did. I would say that that was not my normal flinch, but we can all get down with taking captive every thought with Christ, right? We, everybody's like, yeah, I'm totally down with that. Because it's noble, but there is an and. The and connects the thought. The passage today responds to that. The passage responds to the customs and the religious laws, those 613 different laws that Jesus is going to hit them with. And every single time, every single time, Jesus is going to point out that it's taking your thought captive. It's any thought that could be raised up against the people of God. Now, if you look in your text, I'm going to summarize some of these things here. You think murder is bad? You think murder is bad? Look at the first part of section 21 through 26. It shows that Jesus is telling us that anger, anger, anger against your brother alone and drives your actions, that's what throws you into a fiery hell. It's not the murder, it's the anger. What drives the anger? Well, how about adultery? They talk about adultery. He talks about it in verses 27 through 32. Jesus points out that just by looking at a woman with lust, with the desire for yourself in your heart, which is what lust really breaks down to, and not a desire for the kingdom, just by doing that, that's adultery. What about seeing people in love the way that God, who made them, sees them? You look at verses 43 through 47, and Jesus shows that focusing on love is for all people, for all relationships, and all times. This is the point. And he takes us through this section on this idea of grabbing your thoughts. Our thought life is where everything starts. Doug is fond of saying, and I agree with him, that we have more conversations, all right, I have more arguments with myself, my own mind, than I will with any single person any day ever. I'm going to say that again. We talk to ourselves and argue with ourselves in our mind way more than we do with any other single person we speak with or talk to. In fact, the addition of all the conversations, the total of them all day long, does not match how much time we talk to ourselves. So if we're not understanding this, people, that we have to grab our thoughts and take them captive, then all we're doing is listening to the thoughts of other people, and they're taking us captive. And then our hearts go where they want, 
versus where God wants. That's a problem. Every thought we have in personal relationship with people, everything we do in life as a Christian should be driven to verse 48. Therefore, we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And as I said, Jesus shows that the very thoughts we have to one another need to be changed, but they need to be changed from the heart and mind way before the actions. And we got to worry because nothing can keep us from sin but ourselves. And if you're a saved, sealed, Holy Spirit-driven believer, I would ask, how do you spend your next thought? So let's talk about some of that. Turn your notes over. I want to go to the second talking point. The second talking point. It says, okay, now what are some ways that taking your thoughts and emotions captive in obedience to Christ lets you do the work that God left you here to do with people? And I'm asking, I would like to know, because I'm sure that judging on the first group of answers, I could use the help. How do you think? What are some ways taking your thoughts and emotions captive in obedience to Christ let you do the work that God left you here to do? Okay, so Mo says to teach the word. And not just by standing up here and teaching, but by example. John. So if you didn't hear John, he said sometimes it just it forces us to stop, think, and pray instead of our knee-jerk response, which I would completely agree, and that is really the summary of that question, isn't it? How do we understand how to act in obedience to what God's given us? We don't take our thoughts captive. And if we take, by taking our thoughts captive, for some of you who have never really thought about that, what do I mean by that? Well, I'll tell you some of the things I mean. Some of the things I mean is how do you saturate your time? What are the things that you spend time dwelling on? Do you spend time thinking about, you know, Tucker on X? Do you spend time thinking about the World Series? Do you spend time thinking about the war? Or do you spend time looking for the answer of truth in God's word? Now, I'm not saying that, hear me, there's nothing bad with those things that I talked about first. But if you let them just seep into you, and all you do is dwell with those thoughts, and you move yourself away from the truth of God and the people of God, then isn't any surprise that we don't look any different than the world. So people say, you're a hypocrite. What do you mean? Well, I saw the way you acted. I saw when you got mad, what you did is you yelled at that person right back, and there's no difference, so I'm Christian too. How do you defend that? The answer is you don't. And that's why I love where Mark took us today in prayer, thankfulness. We, guys, we got to get this in our heads. We can do all the right things in the world without a grateful, thankful heart. You're doing it for yourself. We do things because we want to obey the Lord who saved us. Period. End of story. And in doing so, we show other people why Jesus is better. And we should be grateful and thankful for that. I'll tell you right now, sweet new married couple, they probably haven't had their first fight yet. They're so cute. They're grateful. They're thankful. I'm just playing with you guys. Take a look at that. Do you remember when you were first saved? If you're his, do you remember when you were first saved? Do you remember that for me, I remember nothing else mattered. In that one exact moment, I'm like, I'm free. That was it. I'm free. My wife and I were in the midst of an intense fellowship. We were not new married, so we were in the midst of intense fellowship at the time. 
I came out of my kid's room in 2005 in April, and I was like, I'm free. And she's like, what? I think she played into our conversation. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not free that, you know. But I was free in that moment. And then what happened? I walked right back into the world, and the world started getting its hooks into me again. And the freedom that I could stand in, in my mind, my thoughts, went bye-bye for a little bit. And then like every 16th minute, I remembered I was free. You know? And like, oh, yeah, I'm free now. Yay. Hooray. Right? That's what I'm talking about. When Jesus talks about that, that's what he's talking about. So we have 81 verses to get through. Let's, let's switch our filter now and go back again. We'll start at the beginning. We're going to switch our filter. Second point. After we reclaim our thoughts and we're set where we need to be, we need to rethink our words. We need to rethink our words. Proverbs 4, 23 through 24 reads, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. So we know first that our thoughts and desires are born in our heart. This verse would tell us that. But they spew out from a deceitful mouth and with devious speech. And my family will tell you, and I have people here in the police department that know me, I've said for years, words matter. Words matter. If you know me for a day, you know I say these things. Words matter. What you say to people, how you say it, and when you say it, it matters. It's not okay to destroy someone and then come back five minutes later. Hey, you know, I'm just kidding, right? I'm totally sorry. While you're on your phone, I'm really sorry. Like, it means a lot to me. Words matter. How we deal with people matters. And the things that we have in our mind that are born from our heart come out of our mouth. Parents in the room, do I need to say anything else? Because as I was that kid once and my mom and dad would tell stories to us, I now see my small children that are not small anymore would say things that would just come out of their mouth and I'd look at my sweet wife and go, why would they say that? Well, it's because it was in their mind and then their heart and it came just vomiting out their mouth, right? So the book of Proverbs, I would encourage you, is filled with wisdom on how and what to say and really the why is pursuing God. So I can't think of a better guy to talk about the pursuit of God with than A.W. Tozer. Think about that. That was a good transition, Kylie. Right? She giggled. She giggled. A driving thought for Tozer until his death in 1963. And Tozer, by the way, was a self-proclaimed man who was obsessed with the glory and holiness of God and making it known to people. Was wrapped up in a statement that you can see on the screen. Thought and speech are God's gift to creatures made in his image. These are intimately associated with him and impossible apart from him. Do you believe that? Do you hear I said that? Do you believe that? How about, do you believe that? Can you believe that thought and speech are a gift that were given by God that the creature is made intimately in his image to glorify him? I'm telling you, when, when my wife and I decided we were going to homeschool, I told her, I said, the only thing, the only thing I want you to teach our children is how to read because I want them to read the Bible, because I want them to read the words on the page that are filled with life. And then after they learned how to read, kudos to my wife, I told my children that to be a self-governing man that loves the Lord, you need to know how to communicate well, learn how to speak well, and learn how to write well, because nations change on a word. People come to Christ because they hear it, because we say it, and what's born in here and what takes its root here comes out here. 
in how I say things to people, even as I look around the room and I know you, I've said great things to people, and I've said horrible things to people, and they live in the same heart. So my challenge is to figure out how I can get control of my mouth, right? It's your challenge. And what the Lord's going to tell us through, as, through this filter, we look here, is, I guess, really set up by his half-brother James. Now, James writes in his book, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, I'm going to take the time to read all of this. Now, make the note, James 3, 5 through 10. Listen about the speech. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord the Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. That's what I'm saying. It's what Tozer was saying. If you believe that, then you see a man like Tozer who lived his life believing in the holiness and bringing glory to God. You say, well, I can never do that. You can. There are, guys, there are many non-Christian people that are the nicest people in the world. Would you agree? I love them. I, I grew up in Mesa, so I grew up around Mormons. I went to high school with Mormons, and I loved all my Mormon friends. They're wonderful people. They're deceived about the truth, about who God is, and God's word, not Jeff. God's word says, because of that, you will not go to heaven. That's tragic. Wonderful people. They say really nice things. They don't drink caffeine, so we have a little bit of a dissonance there, Right? If you think about this, there are wonderful people that can control their speech. And yet the Christians, me, stand in front of you. And I openly tell you, there are times as a police officer where I say things that you go, wow. I'm not following you to the bathroom, let alone to Jesus. All right? We have to get a grip on these things. We have to remember that words matter. How we say things, when we say things, to whom we say things is infinitely important. So Jesus' words in this section demonstrate the necessity to control our tongues. And let me, let me point out some different areas. Remember this. How do you respond when attacked by trying to win, maybe? Well, Jesus says, starting in verse 25, he says, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way. He, he points out, seek reconciliation. Use your mouth to seek reconciliation. Seek people out that you know have a legitimate issue with you, of which I'm sure there are at least one, be the initiator of the reconciliation, and by so you'll avoid great pain. He's, he's telling you, put your mouth into action the right way. Are you again quick to show everyone that you're righteous? Look at verse 33. It reads, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. That's the first part. Well, this expands, and Jesus takes us all the way back to the heart motives again. He drives the how and why, and he points out that we have no power to do anything. In verse 33, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. So our words then reflect the measure of integrity inside of our hearts for him, of which there is none if we don't speak truth in love. How would you define your comfort zones in your relationships with people? Well, Jesus says in verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
It continues, do not even the Gentiles do the same? We're to use our words then to engage people for the kingdom, especially those who never heard the gospel. Let me take you back to Operation Christmas Child, that, that video today. And like John, I too was very moved last week. A kid, his family was destroyed for a pair of shoes, right? Gets a pair of shoes and they're crying. She's, she's, she's you know, doing the corn thing. She's like de-husking corn or whatever it was as a way, I think, purposely not to just break down and start crying because she loved what God was doing so much. And then we see again today what the gospel, the gospel. Do you hear what the guy said? We got all the kids in this church to go through the program. And people were in front of them talking about Jesus. And it changed everything. These holy people that were there allowed the church to be there. God's word we see maybe small here. But you can see these videos and look at what God's word is doing. The word of God is powerful. And when we speak the word of God because we have our thoughts in line and our hearts directed, powerful things happen. Marriages start. Marriages heal. People that were going to a fiery hell are ripped out. I got a friend that says, we are going to plunder hell and populate heaven. Giddy up. He's the president of the International Police Chaplains Association, and he is more on fire than all of us in this room combined. He's a warrior for the Lord, and he uses his mouth effectively. I wish I could do the same. I will tell you that you have every chance to do so. You have every opportunity to do so. I have a young man that came to me last week, and I tell you this by way of example, by why you should open your mouth. He says, hey, Sarge, he's getting off graves. He's new. He's been on his own for a month. I'm starting off my day, so I'm looking for a couple of breakfasts. I got coffee. I'm ready to go. Hey, Sarge, I want to tell you something. Yeah, buddy. You know, seven months ago when you were teaching us about the nobility of policing and you were really open about being a Christian, and all of us were like, wow, he's a Christian. You know, that really struck me because I was raised in the church. I went to church on Sunday, on Wednesday, and we had to go to our teen group on Friday nights. Every week, Southern Baptists had to do it until I could drive, and then I said, I don't want this program anymore. And I haven't even looked back at my faith at all until that day. And it got me thinking that if you're standing here with 25 years almost in law enforcement, and you believe that Christ matters, maybe I should too. So I talked to my girlfriend, and and he's like, we're starting to go to church again. And I was hoping you could tell me, is there a Bible study that you can put me in? Praise God. Praise God. Because any one of us at any time can be that person, and most of you have that story, so I connected him with our sweet chaplain that's sitting here today. And so we are going to work towards getting people on the gospel train because we're going to plunder hell and populate heaven. Amen? Our words matter. Our words matter. Jesus used a section to talk about how we should not miss the intentionality of catching our thoughts, catching our heart, catching our words. But now we're going to do something with that. So the last section, the last filter, as we, Kim, come close to our 81 verses, the last 27 verses now, we're going to be focused on how we're going to recommit our deeds. Recommit our deeds. Can one person right now change the world? I ask you. Can one person change the world? You're like, I don't know. Jesus did. Okay, we should just go home. Jan goes, Jesus did. You're like, well, I'm not Jesus. Right, you're Jan. In Jan's world, she can change that world right now. What does it mean to make a change? So it doesn't mean the changing phone numbers, changing jobs, changing your schools. That's not change. Kingdom change means people. It always has. It always will be about people. 
If it weren't so, then we'd already be taken home once we're saved. Does anybody ever wonder that? I'm saved and going to heaven. Why am I here? People are like, what's the purpose of life? Well, you know, the, the catechism to know God and love him forever. Okay, done. Why am I still here? People. People. Can one person really make a change? One person's story certainly did. And I'm going to talk about Billy Graham, although most people want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about a guy that's in this book, Jesus Freaks. Whenever I think that my life's going pretty well and I'm really on fire for the Lord, I read about these men and women who have given their life. Now listen to this. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Jesus does not promise that when we bless our enemies and do good to them, they will not despise us and persecute us. They certainly will. But not even that can hurt us or overcome us so as long as we pray for them. For if we pray for them, we're taking their distress and poverty, their guilt and perdition upon ourselves, and then we plead to God for them. Every insult they utter only serves to bind us more closely to God and them. Their persecution of us only serves to bring them nearer to reconciliation with God and further the triumphs of love. It's only when one sees the anger and wrath of God hanging like grim realities over the head of one's enemies that one can know something of what it means to love them and forgive them. That's Bonhoeffer in 1945. You see, once we capture our thoughts and control our speech, we have to put in to action the things that we say we believe. I had to write down what I'm going to say next. I want to make sure I got this really clear. Don't say to me, and I'm talking to you and for you, don't say to people, you care for them. I care for you, brother. And then you never answer their call or never respond to a text message. Don't tell me I'll pray for you as you walk out the door. And don't want to turn around and right there say, all right, let's get after it. Don't tell me you want to live a life for Christ and yet do everything you can to live a life for yourself. Don't. You're not committing your deeds to the kingdom. You're committing your deeds to your next paycheck or to your next enjoyment or to whatever else is there. That is not what Jesus wanted. The upside down kingdom challenges us to do things differently with our deeds. To not say, gosh, what's on my calendar today? But, Lord, what's on your calendar for me today? To whom do I need to stand in front of? I'm stuck in traffic. Oh, hey, that guy looks like he's sad. I'll pray for that license plate. I mean, I, I'm being goofy maybe a little bit, but you guys all know that you've been redirected on times in life for whatever, and God has used those times to make glory happen for his kingdom. Amen? And I can speak to those things as much as you can. So if you look at verses 23 and 24, Verse 23 and 24, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the table and there remember your brother or something against you, leave your offering there before their altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. We're reminded, guys, that when you come with a clean heart, just that does nothing until we're humble enough to seek out the change that we're asked to do in others' lives. Because here's the thing, when we are doing that, in that moment, God gets the glory for fixing the unfixable, right? God gets that glory. People go like, there's no reason for me as a police officer to go to this guy who just fought me, this is years ago, and I'm booking him down at jail, and to start to feel the Lord going, you should talk to him about Jesus. I'm like, I, don't, I want to talk to him about going to the hospital again. That's what I want to talk to him about. And then I share Christ with them. There's no reason to do that, because God got the glory there. God got the glory. That whole episode was a crazy story, and God got the glory. If you think about it, Jesus continues right along in verse 29 through 32. Look at that section. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. He continues, your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. 
He says, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. If what we see and what we think handshakes with what we do with sin over and over and over and over and over and over again, then Jesus is saying, cut that out of your life. He uses graphic language, right, to describe that. He, he shows the intensity of how and what and why we're doing what we're doing and how that affects people. And I would tell you that he brings it really to a close, verses 38 through 42. It reads, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forced you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. That concept of Old Testament justice, that lex talionis, was that eye for an eye. You did this to me. Well, me and my family do this to you. We're good. Jesus is showing all these people here. He, he shows us that he fulfills our need for justice by his sacrifice and the justice that he died for on the cross. That's justice. In an upside-down kingdom, the only one that was righteous and didn't have to suffer the punishment is the one who took it. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's God's justice, not our own. Ultimately, you guys, Jesus teaches everyone listening that how we act is the reflection of a committed, a committed and focused life for him. So we have our thoughts in mind. We take them captive. We have our heart that's going to draw our speech and now we're rethinking how we're speaking. And now we're recommitting our deeds. Turn your notes over for the last talking point. Last talking point. There, I'm sorry, the training truth there. It is a talking point, I'm sorry. Combining with what's going on in some of the classes that some of you are taking, Pastor Paul Tripp writes in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, the way to people's hearts with the gospel is to love, know, speak, and do. Love, know, speak, do. Well, Jesus highlights a focus on his kingdom glory with people through the passage in the same way. And here's my thing for you guys. I want you to write down one tangible way on your notes somewhere that you will love, know, speak, and do this week as you focus on the thoughts, words, and deeds of people in your life. Can you do that for me? Can you take them, maybe not, maybe not today, maybe not this second I'm preaching, but maybe this afternoon, you think about how can I love, know, speak, and do in a way that's going to change lives this week? And so the buildings I talked about in the beginning that were empty and desolate that Jesus left behind, we bring Jesus back to those people, and those dead places become alive with Christ. I want to invite the music team up and ask the communion team to start getting ready. We're going to have communion later, right at your seats, so they'll get ready to go. I did it, Kim. I looked at the entire section of 27 verses. I made it 81. I told you we could do it. Told you. As evidenced by the life of Jesus that we see in this section today, Jesus, guys, he wasn't just giving information on personal relationships, on these impromptu moments, on these situations like, hey, that comes up, here's what you do. And this comes up, and here's what you do. Jesus wasn't giving you a car's owner's manual. He wasn't. He was giving life to those people that didn't have any. Those people that said, okay, I want to believe. I'm blessed. You said, I'm meek. I'm going to inherit the earth. Okay, Lord, tell me more. He says, think about this. Talk about this. 
and do it this way. The question that we talked about that was driving me as I looked at this section was, how should focusing on his kingdom change the way that we look at ours? And whether or not you feel like we were able to take some steps towards answering that today, I hope you do. I feel like we did. We can start by remembering in summary the areas that we walked through today. In everything we do, guys, look to reclaim your thoughts, rethink your words, and recommit your deeds to where he has you. And I pray that you guys are ready to give a different answer next time someone asks you a question. That, that first question, how would you deal with problems with people in your life? I pray now you maybe have a different look. A different look. I want to read something to you. A committed life to the dedicated purpose of bringing people information on how Jesus saves can only be done by modeling yourself as someone who takes their selfish desires, needs, and thoughts captive, thinks about how and when to say what's moving through your heart, and who gets up and does something for others with what God has revealed because even the least of them matter the most to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the truth that you've given us today. Thank you, Lord, that above all things, above all things, what you taught us today was you. You showed us that there is just a different way. Lord, would you help us to be men and women that live a life today, this week, and with others that demonstrates that praise his name forevermore is the foundation in our, in our soul that comes out in every interaction that we have. Lord, you taught us that words matter. Let us speak life to others. Lord, you taught us that if someone were to offend us, that we should pray for them. So Lord, I ask you right now in my heart, would you make me the man that you want me to be today? Would you make me a better representation of what it means to be a lighthouse in the dark for people that need to see Jesus? You're just better, Lord, and we love you. And all God's people said, amen.